So this is the first Free City Radio podcast. Um, it's March 17th. I'm in Montreal. Uh, this is Stefan Christoph. Uh, Free City Radio has been broadcasting on CKUT radio at 90.3 FM in Montreal for many years now, um, around a decade. Um, and I've been creating programming at CKUT since um, 2001. Uh And so this is the first time I'm moving programming into a podcast format. So um, I'm excited to share a lot of different material with you. Uh, one of the goals of this podcast is going to be to highlight archived uh, material and to uh, point to um, perspectives that have been recorded within social movements Uh, here in Montreal, but around the world at different times. And so sort of point to and contrast where things are at the moment versus um, where they were uh, on a particular issue uh, in the past. So an attempt to also highlight different voices that have been on this program multiple times. Um, so also, of course, the show will include a lot of current audio and uh, that includes today. Also, first I should mention um, the music you're hearing, which is the opening track for Free City Radio program for this podcast is a track called Hope by the band The Dirty Three who are based in Melbourne. Uh, I've loved this track and this band for a long time since I was a kid, and I thought it would be a good way to open the show. The Dirty Three are just um, one of my favorite bands. So on the show today, I'm going to um, share some sounds from the city from Montreal um, in the context of the pretty significant shutdown of Montreal um, that has been happening um, and also wanted to highlight some of my experiences in the past uh, few days. Uh, of course, the world is facing the corona pandemic, uh, COVID-19, um, and that includes Montreal. Um, so I wanted to share uh, some of my experiences, but also point to some different efforts taking place. First of all, I wanted to note that I put up a banner today. Um, it's a pretty simple one. It just says Solidarity, Solidarité. Uh, it's, it's written in French. Um, I put that up on Saint Laurent Street where you can basically see it when you're driving on Saint Laurent or walking uh, northward, just past Van Horn. Um, and I got that banner first in 2012 uh, during the Quebec student strike. Um, I was working on a series of articles and uh, eventually I went to present a small booklet that I made called Le Fond de l'Air et Rouge, uh, The Sense of the Air is Red, uh, some sort of translation there, um, in different parts of Canada and also here in Quebec. 
I went to Winnipeg um, and shared the booklet and also discussed with different people in that city about the Quebec student strike and what had been happening. Um, and at that uh, gathering in Winnipeg, some student activists presented me with this banner, said Solidarité, um, and it had been used at different protests, solidarity protests in Winnipeg during the Quebec student strike. So um, I wanted to put up that banner today because I thought the notion of solidarity is obviously so important in the context of a crisis. Um, after I got that banner originally in 2012, I used it at many different protests, both against austerity, we had it up at different events, um, cultural events, even it was part of different demonstrations in support of Palestine and Palestinian human rights that took place. So I put it up today because I wanted to express the notion of solidarity and sort of pass along the banner. Um, and um, particularly I was thinking about um, the uh, medical workers, frontline workers, uh, hospital staff, nurses, doctors, healthcare practitioners who are really on the front lines of battling uh, COVID-19 um, and also facing a great amount of um, precarity uh, in terms of the, the health of, of, of healthcare workers. And I think it's really important to highlight that. So I, I put up the banner to express that direct solidarity or that feeling I had of how important it was to uh, express my support for healthcare workers. Um, and also I wanted to highlight the conception of mutual aid, um, or, you know, the framework of mutual aid. And I think uh, governments are going to step up to try to address this crisis, but um, their response till now has not been adequate. I think that's important uh, to recognize, especially in regards to public access to testing within public institutions. The WHO has said many, many times that um, testing is so important in curving uh, an upward trend in people infected in the context of this epidemic. And um, there still is very big problems with testing here in Quebec. And from what I understand in other parts of Canada, many friends have been sharing on social media, um, basically uh, their worries and anxiousness of having some symptoms that could be related to COVID-19, but not having access to testing, calling the government hotline, being asked to call back, um, calling back again, in many cases, also, this was earlier in the week, we're March 17th right now, um, being told to uh, basically travel across the city to get tested. But, you know, I, I think that that's pretty clearly dangerous uh, if these symptoms are in fact related to COVID-19. So what I wanted to underline is that there is a lack of testing access that remains. Uh, and now it's pretty clear there's a real problem here with uh, pot potential infection uh, and the ways that COVID-19 uh, coronavirus will impact the population. So in response, also what we've seen is mutual aid groups coming together in different neighborhoods. And there's actually very active um, 
social media organizing that's taking place between different quartiers in the city, between different areas where people are coordinating things like food delivery for people uh, with different abilities, food delivery for uh, people of different generations, especially um, people, especially people uh, in categories of the population impacted more seriously, um, you know, people 60 years and older. Um, so also people are coordinating childcare, uh, delivery of different goods. Uh, these mutual aid networks are very serious. And I think it's really interesting to think about the ways that popular organizing takes place in the context of a crisis. Um, like we're seeing with COVID-19 uh, now here in Montreal. Um, and so back to this banner that was put up today, um, I think that in a very, very different context, it was really amazing to see the neighborhood organizing and uh, assemblies that took place um, during and also right after the the student strike took place here in Quebec, there was attempts to form neighborhood assemblies. And of course, there was the assemblies within the university and college campuses within Sejups. Um, but that sense of mutual aid is what I wanted to underline and is really sort of in terms of organizing and people power, one connection I see between the COVID-19 crisis and and the Quebec student uprising against austerity and in support of public institutions uh, and in support of social justice and environmental justice that took place in 2012 um, because mutual aid was so important in sustaining the networks of power, uh, social movement power that took place during the student strike. So I put up that banner from that time today um, just on a train bridge on Saint Laurent just north of Van Horn in the Mile End of Montreal, in part to point to some reflections I've been having about mutual aid, but also to very physically tie um, an object of struggle and mutual aid and solidarity from the Quebec student strike in 2012 to this moment. So you can check it out uh, if you're in the city. I'll post some photos also. Um, and I thought it would also be interesting to just remember that sense of solidarity from the 2012 student strike um, and the popular protests, the casserole protests, the night protests for justice, for public institutions, which as we see in this current moment, public institutions are so vital and so important for um, addressing a crisis like this health crisis that we're facing. Um, so when we think about all the politicians that have attempted over the years to chip away at the public health care system in Canada and in Quebec um, with public-private partnerships, um, with the increasing role of the private sector in general within um, the healthcare institutions, uh, hospitals, but also other institutions, I think it's so important to remember the fact that these public institutions are so vital and so important. Um, and the the student strike of 2012 was really about defending public institutions and also the democratic participation of people um, who are part of these institutions. Um, so in, the, in that case, student participation in campuses and universities. But by extension, I think also uh, 
public health care institutions can be thought of in a similar way. So I wanted to share some audio from the Quebec 2012 student strike as I shared with you these reflections and this banner. And I thought it'd be interesting to hear that feeling of solidarity that was on the streets because that feeling of solidarity is so important right now. Um, I think we're expressing it online, but I also wanted to share this audio. Euh, parce qu'en fait, euh, ça, ça me rejoint vraiment. Euh, je trouve que ça va plus loin que les grèves étudiantes pour une hausse de frais de scolarité. Je pense que ce que ces jeunes-là ont envie, c'est d'un Québec différent que celui qu'on nous propose actuellement. Puis euh, là, là, ici, on marche en appui aux étudiants, mais on a marché euh, le 22 avril dernier euh, contre le plan Nord, en fait, contre tous les beaux sapins qu'on essaie de nous passer euh, avec le gouvernement Charest. Donc, euh, Donc, euh, moi, je suis très inspirée par euh, l'énergie et la vision euh, durable et à long terme que, que, que les jeunes portent en ce moment. Puis je trouve qu'il faut leur emboîter le pas pour que, pour que ça change puis qu'on soit dans une société plus juste qui nous ressemble. commençait aujourd'hui, on est venu manifester là, contre ces mesures appauvrissantes, dont la hausse des frais de scolarité de 1625 1.678 maintenant. Et comme on voit, là, la SQ a été très rapide sur la réaction face, face aux manifestants. Donc maintenant, c'est un peu le chaos. Là, et plus, plusieurs euh, envois de gaz lacrymogène ont été faits. Tout le monde a été touché. Là, il n'y a pas eu d'avertissement. Est-ce que la, manière, la manifestation était rendue illégale ou pas? Bien, le rassemblement, en fait. Donc, plusieurs ont été touchés. Là, moi, j'étais dans le Sonic. Il y avait des enfants avec leurs parents qui étaient là, qui avaient reçu des gaz. Évidemment, c'est déplorable. Là. On s'attendait, bien sûr, à ce qu'ils soient préparés, à ce qu'ils soient présents. Est-ce qu'on s'attendait à ce qu'ils réagissent aussi rapidement? Probablement pas, par exemple. De manière aussi, bien, aussi peu... Euh, coordonnée, là, parce que les choses ont été assez mal faites. Là. Maintenant, nous, à Victoriaville, qu'est-ce qui se passe aujourd'hui? Ben, en fait, il y avait une manifestation organisée là, dans le cadre du Conseil général du Parti libéral. Donc, une, une manifestation organisée par... Euh par la coalition opposée à la tarification, la privatisation des services publics. Et euh, donc, les étudiants s'y sont joints. Malheureusement, même les euh, discours n'ont pas, euh, pas eu le temps de finir avant que la, les forces policières chargent. Et là, ça risque d'être un peu... Euh, euh, évidemment, là, je, je pense que vous pouvez voir comme moi que c'est un peu chaotique. Il y a beaucoup de gaz lacrymogènes qui ont euh, sérieusement... Euh, indisposé beaucoup de personnes, même des, disons, des adultes, des gens qui n'étaient pas habitués de faire ce genre de manifestation-là, des enfants aussi. C'est très... Ben, en fait, c'est inacceptable, en fait. Oui. Et euh, pour vous, qu'est-ce qui se passe? C'est comme un symbole des de euh, réactions de l'également charré à face des de mouvements étudiants? Ben, en fait... Euh, je pense que aussi, ce qu'il faut comprendre, c'est que, le, euh, en fait, en région, là, on peut utiliser là, les, les gaz lacrymogènes habituellement à Montréal. Euh, c'est pas dans les coutumes d'utiliser ça. Euh, tu, en fait, il y a, y a vraiment une réaction. Euh, évidemment que c'est euh, une, une réaction du gouvernement face à la grève. Euh, je me demande, oui, d'où tient, d'où les, 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 les forces policières tiennent leur mot d'ordre, en effet, euh, parce que c'est des réactions assez brutales. Puis euh, ça fait que provoquer la colère des gens qui sont ici pour faire une manifestation. Oui, oui. oui. Et c'est vraiment euh, une action aussi directe. 
Euh... C'était une manifestation qui était prévue. Jusqu'à maintenant, c'est resté une manifestation. Puis là, ben, je pense que c'est oui. ça qui s'est passé. Oh. Et les décisions pour, euh, pour marcher en face de Charé, pour confronter comme dans un sens politique Charé? Ben, écoutez, euh, nous, en fait, pourquoi il y a des négociations aujourd'hui? C'est parce qu'il y a eu de l'action directe, parce qu'il y a eu des manifestations, il y a eu des euh, blocages. Euh, vous savez, il y a eu beaucoup de choses que les étudiants ont agi directement sur leur milieu. Et c'est ce qui a euh, causé justement ce mouvement-là du gouvernement. Parce qu'on n'avait pas perturbé économiquement euh, le Québec, bien évidemment, le, le gouvernement n'aurait pas bougé. Alors nous, on pense que oui, euh, ça prouve que le syndicalisme de combat, euh, c'est pas qu'en théorie ça fonctionne, c'est en pratique aussi. Toutefois, on va voir ce que le gouvernement va faire dans les prochains jours aussi. Et dernière chose, un message pour le Canada. Pour le Canada? Euh, ben, nous ici, on est en solidarité avec l'ensemble des groupes sociaux, communautaires et tout. Et ce qu'on voit de plus en plus, euh, cette contestation-là de mesures néolibérales qui sont mises de l'avant par des euh, gouvernements qui euh, dirigent souvent au profit des élites économiques, oui. ben, il y a une contestation qui s'effectue un peu partout dans le monde, euh, que ce soit avec des mouvements comme Occupy et euh, d'autres mouvements comme ça. Alors, on espère, oui, inspirer les gens à continuer à contester aussi dans leur province, dans leur pays, euh, ce genre de mesures-là régressives qui ne travaillent pas pour l'ensemble de la population, mais pour les intérêts de certaines personnes. So that was audio recorded in May 2012 in Victoriaville, in Quebec. Not far from Montreal, there was a meeting of the Quebec Liberal Party Congress, and that was during the student strike, and people had bust from Montreal to protest the Congress. Of course, the Liberal Party was attempting to hike uh, tuition fees within uh, universities across Quebec, and that was the basis for the strike. But at that mobilization, there was a lot of participation from uh, community organizations and different uh, social justice groups who are also drawing attention to the Liberal Party's Uh, measures that were curtailing public institutions, uh, particularly um, uh, public health care and also uh, the rights of the unemployed and people living with poverty. Um, so um, I thought it was important to hear this audio at this time. But I mean, also to remember the context that this was in the time where there was such massive solidarity, such massive mobilization and mutual aid. I think that it is the most recent memory in Quebec where we see so many people coming together to address uh, a crisis affecting uh, a significant part of society. Of course, our current health crisis, the pandemic affects everybody. But I think this serves as an interesting reference point. Um, I'm not comparing at all the two situations. That's not at all my goal. I just wanted to share this audio as a reference to what's happening now and also to find um, sort of that uh, reflection on the importance of public institutions has been something that social activists, community groups, and the student movement have been drawing attention to for a very long time. In terms of, uh, in terms of music today on the show, Um, I've been collecting a bunch of uh, tapes recently at different shows. Uh, right now, where I work, Casado Popolo is closed. Um, but uh, over the last few weeks, it wasn't. And um, I got the chance to hear a bunch of um, 
different bands I was behind the bar working, but one band that I heard that was awesome is called Weeping Icon, and they're based in Brooklyn. They're a trio, so I wanted to share a track from them here on Free City Radio. That was Weeping Icon here on Free City Radio. Uh, I just want to say what I really liked about seeing the group live was the um, the communication between the members, but also this sort of mix between a very um, uh, improvised uh, soundscape that was being created, but also the... Um, um, intention involved and the way that the different guitar parts and also percussion played off each other and also the use of different layers of sound not just obvious guitar parts or clear guitar lines but also just sort of layers and the washing of different sounds um, and also the use of vocals different styles of vocals um, also vocals from different members of the group I really like the show is at Casa del Popolo, and that's um, a track by Weeping Icon. Also uh, very important in the news right now is, of course, the U.S. Uh, presidential elections, which are going forward, um, and the Democratic Party's primary is happening. Of course, uh, independent Senator Bernie Sanders is running. And a lot of different networks of people I know have been very invested uh, in supporting Bernie Sanders uh, and organizing in support of Bernie Sanders, many through um, Democratic Socialists, um, which is sort of um, uh, and uh, which is a project that sort of bridges uh, social movements and party politics, which I found really interesting and particularly the fact that a lot of activists that um, I've known um, particularly in New York City for quite some time um, you know I've 
collaborated a lot with different activists in New York City over the years, um, have been thinking about critically engaging with uh, the electoral process. Um, to be completely honest with you, I'm not sure what that looks like in Montreal or in Quebec or in Canada. Um, I don't know what to say exactly, other than I think that it's important to, th to think about and reflect on where um, efforts are being made within, um, you could say, sort of sister activist networks in the United States. I mean, I'm most familiar with New York City. Um, so I wanted to share an excerpt of a conversation I had with John Tarleton, who is the main editor at The Independent, which is a really awesome um, independent newspaper in New York City that's distributed across the different boroughs of New York, newspaper boxes. It grew out of the Independent Media Center. It was the print committee, essentially, of the Independent Media Center, which was a media space and project that was developed in the context of the anti-capitalist globalization movement and around um, contexts like the massive protests against the U.S. invasion and occupation of Iraq, particularly in 2004, when hundreds of thousands of people protested on the streets of New York during the Republican National Convention that was in the lead up to the uh, the election battle between George W. Bush and John Kerry uh, for the Democratic Party. Um, so the independent project sort of came out of that context of the independent media center. And it sustains today, until today, in a very serious way. It was the first newspaper in New York City to really feature and engage with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her campaign um, and of course, AOC has become such an important figure in U.S. politics. So I spoke with John about The Independent. I think it's a really important project. Um, so here's uh, John. We came out of the indie media movement uh, that uh, was at its peak during the global justice movement of the early uh, 2000s. We were founded in the year 2000. Uh, and the central thing that the uh, global justice movement was saying is that we live in a rigged system where economic and political power is uh, hugely concentrated and used for the benefit of the people who are already super wealthy and powerful and everyone else is being left behind and, um, and not benefiting from the system. And uh, th you know, that movement uh, in, in a number of ways sort of petered out in the, by the mid 2000s, at least certainly here in the United States. Um, and, the really the next upsurge that began was at Occupy Wall Street, but in, in some ways Occupy Wall Street was carrying forward some of these same um, uh, criticisms that uh, the global justice movement was articulating. You know, Battle of Seattle, at Quebec, and other major demonstrations uh, in that earlier era. But Occupy Wall Street really put uh, you know uh, a more class conscious politics uh, in the mainstream. In this country, and a lot of that was because, you know, Wall Street had wrecked the economy in 2008. People were suffering tremendously, and the, you know, business as usual politics was simply not responding to the pain that people were feeling, and the, and the uh, sense of, uh, um, 
you know, lost opportunity or lost hope for a better life. And, and Occupy Wall Street really put that in very stark terms. You know, we are the 99%, the 1%, you know, controls everything. It's unjust. We have to change this in a dramatic way. And, and we've seen other powerful social movements here in the United States uh, uh, since then, including Black Lives Matter, the Fight for 15, uh, Standing Rock, uh, and, and uh, Me Too, I think, and, and uh, the Dreamers and Immigrant Rights. So, um, mm-hmm. and this is all happening as well at a time when the, certainly the younger generation is more diverse than any, mm-hmm. uh, you know, generation in U.S. history. They're also uh, more um, open to left-wing politics. Yeah. So, um, we're seeing a, a situation where the the material circumstances uh, that people are living under and the changing uh, uh, demographics and of this society are creating a, a you know a left wing surge, but obviously at the same time we're seeing a, a right wing surge from all these uh, entrenched uh, uh, people, often on the older end of the spectrum, who want uh, to go back to you know a version of this country that um, is very un- would be very unwelcoming to mm-hmm. people of color, to I think many you know to women and queer folks and. So yeah, again, we're at this uh, interesting yeah. juncture, but the, you know, this uh, upsurge of uh, social movement activity, and especially in the last ten years, has been powerful. And then another thing that's happened that uh, would not have anticipated even five or six years ago is the way, uh, uh, you know, left social movement activity has um, combined with uh, electoral work, yeah. and the the 2016. Sanders campaign was really a, a watershed moment uh, where you know millions of people on the left saw like that wow we're not alone like you know some of the most fundamental issues we're advocating actually resonate with a, a large part of the population I mean, he won 22 states while going up against the whole Democratic Party machine that was controlled by the Clintons um, so that made it I think a tremendous uh, impression on people and the sense of power, even though there was a tremendous disappointment that he lost and all of that, you know, the sense of power and the sense that, like, you know, we can make headway in an electoral system was, a, I think, a revelation. Because most people in this country, to the extent they think about or experience politics, is through elections. Mm-hmm. And the left, for a long time, has sort of uh, stayed away from that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it felt like it was completely, it was hopeless, it was like a you know, a waste of time, a waste of energy. And now um, I think that perspective is changing. And, um, uh, you know, you have groups like the Democratic Socialists of America, which, you know, is like 10 times larger than it was in 2016. They've done, you know, some very important electoral work. Yep. But they're also, they take that, mem- much of their membership has come into their organization because of their electoral work. Yep. But then they get the people involved in supporting, you know, labor strikes and, tenant organizing and so sure. I think you're seeing also a lot you know, a lot of sort of dual power organizing like organizing uh, for elect, you know elections but yeah. organizing beyond elections so for us here at the independent you know uh, you know our base is here in New York and a lot of what we cover is in New York and um, it's uh, been a, an exciting time I mean we were the only 
newspaper in the city that really paid any attention to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when she was running for Congress, and we put her on our, our cover. Everybody else did. The New York Times didn't mention her once until after she won, you know, won that primary. Um, and so we were, you know, uh, we started following these insurgent campaigns very closely after 2016. Her race wasn't the first one that we covered of these sort of, you know, leftist outsiders running for city council or running for legislature. So um, it's something we've been very tuned into. And then, you know, again, and there's, you know, New York is a city that's you know, experiencing intense gentrification. Uh, the the you know the police department here is very controversial. Um, you know, there's you know always issues of environmental racism. So these are issues that we're constantly covering and covering the you know the social movements that are uh, you know confronting that. And that, and immigration is a huge issue in the Trump era. And there's been sure. you know this is a sanctuary city and. You know, our city government has been, I, I think, somewhat uh, uh, half-hearted at times about really in, enforcing the sanctuary city idea. But there's definitely social movements that, uh, and you know, immigrant-led movements that have, uh, you know, uh, tried to put more uh, juice into that. And uh, you know, so we covered them frequently. So, uh, so yeah. So yeah. That we're we're very busy. That's a lot. Yeah. Well. I- I was just wondering, can you maybe? Okay, well, here's one of the the independent. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, we can just. Ball. It looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just for people who haven't seen it. I mean, you're. Uh, you mentioned these national issues in the United States, but also, it is a very local New York paper. But can you make? Can you maybe describe the paper and like mm-hmm. uh, uh, what it? What is the independent? Right. You can find it around the city. There's newspaper boxes, but at the same time, it's a social movement project, an indie media project. I mean, it's really incredible. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, the the newspaper we we print twenty to twenty four pages uh, edition every month. We yeah. print uh, forty to forty five thousand copies a month. Wow. Uh, we have uh, you know outdoor street boxes uh, spread around the city. Um, oh, that's that's a map of yeah. your boxes? Oh, wow. And, and, and we're, it's thumbtacks in a, in a met, metro map, right? Yeah, of, of, the subway uh, map. The New York boroughs. Yeah. <laughs> so we have, we have boxes uh, uh, spread across the city. We're in more than 70 public libraries. We're in independent bookstores and cafes, some laundromats, and on and, you know. And many people, you know, take the papers that we don't even know about. I run across sometimes, they're like, oh yeah, I take a stack from my, from the box in my neighborhood and take it back to my apartment building and share it with my fellow residents. Or I remember one time early in the morning, I saw somebody take some papers out of a box and he had a little uh, employee lanyard on it over his uh, neck. And he was, and I was like, oh, what are you taking all those papers for? He's like, oh, I work at a, a city hospital. I'm gonna put these out in like the waiting room for people to read. Wow, and that's uh, cool. So, um, so we our official distribution network is fairly large, and then almost our unofficial network of people uh, grabbing papers and taking them to share with other people is, you know, uh, expansive as well. So that in inter- and then we also, I mean, we are active on the internet as well. I mean, all the pa- all the content in the paper goes up on on the internet yeah. at independent.org. You know, we're fortunate we have uh, you know. Uh, readers, uh, we have subscribers. We get the paper mailed to them every month. We have we do an annual fund drive that people send money in very generously. We also have uh, different progressive organizations 
uh, and culture makers here in the city that want to that advertise every month. Nice. And uh, so wow. it's a win-win situation. It gives, you know, we bring in revenue, and they, but we provide a very unique place for them to promote their, you know, their activities and organizations. <laughs> so it's a very sort of symbiotic uh, relationship, and because uh, um, it's not like any Fortune 500 corporation is looking to advertise with us it's all yeah i got that sense that might not be happening for the independent yeah um but but it's interesting because but we also cover yeah yeah, i mean we also i mean so we cover you know all this social movement activity and 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 left-wing electoral Mm -hmm. politics yeah here in new york city and new york state because so much of the politics that determines the quality of life in new york city takes place in the state capital of albany uh just the way the laws are set up sure uh, in this state is the state government has tremendous influence over mm-hmm. the, the city. So we cover city and state politics uh, as well as social movement activities, you know, very um, aggressively. But we also, you know, we want to give our readers, you know, a, we don't want to just be like a hyper local, you know, like a left wing version of Patch or something like that. Sure. Uh, so we always try to bring in a certain amount of national or sure. international coverage. Sure. Uh, you know, in an election season that t- you know tends to be you know right now it's a lot of the the contest for the Democratic nomination and in particular the Sanders campaign. But I mean, in our upcoming March issue, we're going to have yeah, original reporting uh, both from uh, Mexico uh, by a really outstanding writer named Laura Carlson. Uh, yeah, l- looking great, at the writer and researcher. Yeah, looking at the. Yeah sort of the ups and downs of the uh, Lopez Obrador administration is it, you know, like, you know, how does it actually work when a sure. left-wing movement tries to govern a country? Because yeah, we could be in that position a year from now if if, if Sanders yeah, was yeah. in fact elected. So she kind of, you know, giving that perspective from Mexico. And then we have another um, out, really outstanding young writer uh, in Uganda writing about uh, this um, um, uh, sort of outsider uh, uh, artist musician who's running for president against like this guy who's been the dictator for over 30 years and uh, and he's built up this whole movement around him so she managed to get access and wow. and, and spend a lot of time traveling around uh, this guy with this guy in uh, Uganda so we're gonna have again you know original reporting from Central Africa and from Mexico along with you know some very local stories yeah. like there's a whole uh, battle going on right now over uh, uh, bail reform legislation. This yeah. whole, situ- I don't know what you, how y'all do it in Canada, but when in the U.S., when somebody's a, a charged with a crime, um, I mean, they're supposed to be able to get out of jail and, and, and be free until they go on trial, but that is often ab- abused by uh, judges and prosecutors. And last year, New York State finally. Uh, reformed those laws and made it much more humane and now the police and the prosecutors are, are pushing back aggressively and really trying to intimidate the politicians into repealing that. So we're going to be covering that. So even while the election rages on and we, we try to track that, there's you know other very important issues at stake. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that from the independent media projects in New York City in looking at um, sort of a framework of political coverage that isn't only about the election. I mean, oh, uh, through the independent, but also democracy now, I think to a degree is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, we're looking at this 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 mm. whiteboard, uh-huh. which uh, has actually the the paper layout for this couch. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, We've got all twenty four pages sketched out. Uh, wow. Articles are, you know, uh, been coming in all week, and we're wow. working to edit them, and we're you know in touch with illustrators and photographers. And yeah. Yeah, and there's always original, really cool original artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess like the last question I'd want to ask you, at least in this conversation, is just uh-huh. about um, sort of this moment where we see um, a lot of issues that social movements have been pushing for so long uh-huh. in the spotlight. We, we, we address this to a degree, but I, I'd like to hear a bit more of what you think that means in terms of um, how to engage with power. Um, I mean, I really appreciate what you mentioned about the upcoming issue and this article from Laura Carlson, which uh, thank you for telling me about uh, Lopez Orvador in Mexico. I think that's an interesting parallel. But um, I mean, Canada obviously follows the United States so closely. Uh I mean, uh, Montreal, New York are really close uh, geographically and of course, culturally. Um, we, we invaded you guys in 1777. So sorry about that. <laughs> well, I mean, Canada was a colony of the British Empire at the time, so no, uh, no, uh, nothing to be sorry about there. Okay. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, I mean, but um, that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but obviously, I think we burned a Toronto to the ground. Yeah, it was called York back then. Well, somebody recently said to me, "Well, the this conflict in in the 18th century was saw the burning of of the Capitol building in Washington, and the burning of um, uh, the cap, uh, governmental buildings in Toronto." But so it was good for Montreal and New York. Okay. You know? <laughs> spared. But, yeah, spared. But. Um, Anyways, there's there's obviously a long history. Also, like indigenous culture mm-hmm. through this region is very connected. Uh-huh. You know, like, uh, um, but so so this moment, I, I'm just wondering, like, when we see these issues that people have been focusing on for so long uh-huh. in the spotlight uh-huh. and being negotiated by very powerful people uh-huh. or played to, even like former Vice President Joe Biden is playing to a sort of social justice discourse, which right. is just mind-blowing. Um, it, unexpected. I, I, it's not even a critique. It's just it's very uh, strange or awkward to yes. see this. Um, so I'm just wondering, like... The left is winning yeah. The left yeah. is winning the battle of ideas within okay. the Democratic Party. The question is, can they win the battle to gain control of the levers of power? Okay. Yeah. which is a, a much a more arduous uh, climb okay. just because of the way the political power is structured yeah. in this country. Yeah, yeah so expand, like, how, I mean, you mentioned and covering fact, AOC uh-huh. uh, before the mainstream media covered Alexandria's uh, campaign. How do you feel about this moment and the importance of independent media? Well, I think when we talk about how the left is winning you know, the battle of ideas within the Democratic Party. Part of that's because uh, in recent, the past decade, we've also seen, uh, I think, the growth of a more dynamic, independent left-wing media in this country that that gives people the information and ideas and inspiration uh, to to fight for a better world. Uh, So I, I think we help sort of till the soil, you know, that, you know, others can come and, you know, plant these uh, seeds in. 
Um, uh, so, um, so yeah, I think it, I mean, obviously it's exciting and, uh, uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, I think independent media is also playing a role in all this. I mean, the social, there's been a social media, this social movement upsurge, but I think there's also been a, you know, independent media is becoming, uh, more, um, uh, becoming a more, uh, powerful force, uh, as well. And partially, I mean, the internet makes some of that possible. Uh, but also I think people are disenchanted with the, you know, uh, mainstream corporate media narratives. They don't answer to or respond to the life experiences they have. And the, the corporate media has failed so many times in the last 15 or 20 years. Uh, here in the United States, they, you know, uh, blindly supported the, the push for war in Iraq. They were completely um, oblivious to... Uh, everything that led up to the Wall Street crash in 2008. Um, you know, they really have been, uh, uh, ha haven't provided any useful coverage around the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, they were unprepared for Trump mm -hmm. in 2016. And they, and, and they, you know, also minimized Sanders in 2016, where, um, you know, we could have had a Sanders versus Trump election four years ago. And I think there's a very good chance Sanders would have won then. Now, if he does in fact get the nomination, he's going to have Trump will be facing him as the incumbent, which is a tremendous mm -hmm. uh, advantage uh, in these elections. So, um, anyway, so yeah, corporate media has failed over and over again. The, the, uh, the elite media tends to be, you know, really uh, gravitate toward the narratives of you know people and and you know at the centers of power and, and, uh, yeah, most, uh, corporate media journalists have no idea, you know, what a social movement is, uh, how it acts, like how it, uh, how it, uh, develops any p power. Um, so they're constantly taken by surprise by yeah. social, by social movement activism. And then when it finally, you know, bursts into the, you know, uh, into the mainstream in a way they can't ignore. They act like it all just happened yesterday. I mean, you, you could like look at the mo one of the most recent examples, all the climate strikes, you know, back in September. Like, well, that's a product of many years of organizing. It didn't just happen because, you know, Greta Thunberg. Sure, sure. You know. There's always a context. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things, you know, in terms of, well, why do we do what we do? I mean, yeah, we want to give people information, uh, you know, about all sorts of stories they may not be aware of, but also provide... Our, our writing, uh, we, in our writing, we try to really bring a, a sense of historical or political context so that you can understand, a, you know, a topic more deeply. Yep. Uh, we feel like that's really important. And uh, um, I think also for our readership, it's, we have both, we, we have both a sort of a, you know, a, an activist movement readership of people that are you know, think of themselves as, as, you know, social movement activists to some degree or another. So I think for them, we help give, they might be focused on a particular issue. So when they read The Independent, they can get a, like a, sure, a sure. full spectrum view yeah. of all sorts of issues. And uh, also the connections. And the connections yeah. and, and 
I, yeah, I've had people like who are like working on fracking say, and they would tell me like, I, you know, I'd never understood what was going on with the, you know, the charter schools and why that was a big deal. And now I, now I get it. And wow. it's, you know, it's like the privatization of education. I didn't understand that before. Yeah. Yeah. We're at the offices of the Independence uh, newspaper here in Brooklyn, and um, it's a busy place, but I have been talking with uh, John Tarleton, uh, who is the editor-in-chief, and um, it's really cool to talk with you because uh, I've been admiring this project just uh, from a, a very, like, the grit of the project <laughs> uh-huh. for a very long time. So um, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, I, just, I would just want to yeah. add, you know, over these 20 year, almost 20 years, I mean, we probably had more than a thousand people participate in the yeah. paper. Yeah. Some um, like myself for many years, others maybe for, you know, six or 12 months, others, sure. you know, for a very brief time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is another part of what we're doing. Yes, we're you know, trying to get out the news and provide context and amplify uh, you know the voices of social movements and inspire people and all of that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we also are we provide a training ground essentially for you know wow. a young journalists. Sure. And they get a, a kind of mentoring here that they generally won't get at sure. other outlets. Um, and also, and so we've had many people come through here. We've gone on to you know do other you know journalism and. Uh, you know, both community outlets, at, at na- in some cases at national outlets, and we've had people that started here and you know, or at the, you know, went on to like the New York Times or the Washington Post or wherever. But also had people go into you know community journalism, local journalism, um, and also other people come through here. Maybe they don't, uh, you know, d- decide to pursue a career in journalism, but maybe they become you know more uh, involved in in uh, local activism. Yeah, sure. They they you know becomes a gateway to. Uh, learning about and becoming inspired to you know, be you know, more active in, in struggles. So um, that's also something that's important to us as well, mm-hmm. that there's a, um, that this is a, you know, a training ground and a gateway well, for people as well. Nice. That's, so. that's awesome. John, thank you. Sure. Thanks uh, so much. Yeah. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So I spoke with John Tarleton in Brooklyn, New York, uh, at the offices of the Independent um, newspaper. Uh, you can find them online. It's I-N-D-Y Pendant. So it's independent, but just with a Y. They're on social media also. It's a really great and inspiring independent media initiative. I think that it's really important to, to highlight that. I'm going to go to another piece of music. This piece is uh, actually track I wanted to highlight because my brother Jordan Kristoff has been working on so many beautiful releases over this past these past two years actually and um, this is a piece from uh, Jordan Jordan's album uh, Water uh, which is just beautiful um, and um, we'll hear Angel Flow
That was a part of Angel Flow, uh, which is an ambient piece by my brother Jordan Kristoff. Um, and he's been just doing really beautiful meditative work. And I, I think like in these moments, of course, action and organizing is so important. But also there is going to be some time for self-reflection. And, you know, I was talking with um, Kiva Stimak, who's the uh, co-owner of Casa del Popolo in Montreal, where I work, cafe, bar, venue. And she was talking about how, of course, like there's all the organizing and mutual aid networks taking place. And of course, the incredible work of healthcare professionals, but also a lot of people who are going to be spending time in their homes because of quarantine um, out of trying to be as safe as possible. There's also going to be a lot of time for reflection. And it's in that context, I wanted to share that more ambient piece of music um, by my brother, Jordan Christoph. So thanks for tuning in to this first edition of Free City Radio as a podcast. Um, of course, the program broadcasts every Wednesday on CKUT-FM uh, in Montreal. That's at 90.3 FM. Uh, I've been working on this program for about a decade. Um, I'm a musician, um, worker, student, community activist in Montreal. I've always done community radio too. So I'm attempting to uh, shift this into a podcast format and to share ideas with you. Um, shout out to my friends at Treif Podcast, uh, David Zinman and Sam Bick who have been really supportive and encouraging me to shift towards a more um, podcast style model for this broadcast and also to bring it to you on different platforms. Um, so you'll be able to download this uh, podcast format version of Free City Radio. Obviously, as time goes on, I'm going to improve. <laughs> this is an experiment. I'm just trying this out. Um, so... It's been, um, it's been a long time coming, I think, but uh, I hope that you found it interesting. As I mentioned before, it's going to be a, a, a mix of different uh, current interviews and reflections, but also archives and more uh, based also on personal reflections. I'll be involving more conversations also. Um, so I just wanted to leave my email for you in case you want to get in touch. It's uh, stefan.christoph at gmail.com. My name is spelled S-T-E-F-A-N dot C-H-R-I-S-T-O-F-F at gmail.com. And thanks to CKT Radio for hosting this program, of course. And uh, you can find Free City Radio on different platforms. Um, I'm on Twitter at Spirodon, which is my middle name. Spirodon is S-P-I-R-O-D-O-N. And um, I'm going to go out here today on Free City Radio with a piece from, with a piece from, from with a piece from uh, Anita Tiju and Shadia Monsur. Um, this is an awesome collaboration and I, th I think it speaks to the type of internationalism that is so uh, ne necessary and important um, right now in the context of a health emergency. 
Um, this is not going to look like mass street mobilizations, but I think the notion of solidarity and internationalism is obviously so important right now. Um, an awesome activist in Montreal, uh, Safa, shared this track recently, and it reminded me of the of the piece. And also, I remembered hosting Shadia Monsour in Montreal in 2011 at La Sala Rosa, and it was such a great concert. So I wanted to go out on this piece. Shout out to Shadia Monsour and to Anita Tijou, um, awesome artists. And uh, this has been Free City Radio on CKUT and also here as a podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I look forward to sharing with you again. Take it easy. Nos dices que debemos sentarnos Pero las ideas solo pueden levantarnos Caminar, recorrer, no rendirse ni retroceder Ver, aprender como esponja absorbe Nadie sobre todos, faltan todos Suman todos para todos, todo para nosotros Soñamos en grande que se caiga el imperio Lo gritamos algo, no queda más remedio Esto no es utopía, es alegre rebeldía Del baile de los que sobran de la danza tuya mía Levantarnos para decir ya basta Caña América Latina se suba Un barro, con casco, con lápiz a patear el fiasco Provocar un social terremoto en este charco